Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show, Monday morning. Bing, wake up. Here we are. Oh, my gosh. I did not sleep till 1230 last night, so... It was quite the surprise when I woke up and I'm like, wow, that was way, way too fast. But here I am. I had a Christmas party last night for um, 10 girls that my daughter grew up with. And as they got older, we lost track. And last year we had a Christmas party together. Well, what happened was I thought, oh my gosh, one of the girls said, we need to do this again. And I thought, you know, one of the best things, one of the best gifts we can give each other is our time. So this year we had another party and I do this fun thing. And it's it's actually turns out to be like Dream Theme Thursday. You know how we did the show and I realized I knew a lot about dreams and I could see a lot. It's like once I start talking about it, all of a sudden I could see it. Well, this happened at a party years ago with coffee cups. And my friend, um, Christina, was she serves coffee. She actually sells coffee and makes and roasts the coffee herself. And she was reading coffee cups, and she said, Nadia, you should do this. And I've never done it before. So I sat down and read somebody's cup. And I think it was Mihoko's out of all the people. Poor Mihoko, she's not with us anymore, although her birthday just passed a week ago. And she would have been 72. But um, I started reading the cup, and she's like, you're right. And you're right about that. And you're right about that. So last night, I I said to the girls, hey, I have some coffee, and I want to make it, and I want to read your cups. And they're like, hey, what is that about? And some of them didn't know anything, and, and some knew some. And so I did it. And we were talking, and I used the term for one of them, don't borrow trouble. And I thought, that's something we do so much that we don't even know we're doing it. And we get upset about things that aren't ours. We're sometimes, you know, the what if. What if this goes wrong? What if this happens? And instead of thinking, you know, hey, the best case scenario is this. The worst case scenario is that. I'm working for the best case. If it doesn't work out, we may try to, you know, see what we can do better or ask somebody for help or whatever it is. We spend the time instead worrying about it, being upset at what is not ours or what is not ours yet, meaning it didn't happen yet in your life. And so I thought, because there was somebody who, you know, got upset at what's going on at work. And I'm like, why are you upset? Now, does it directly affect you? No. Is there anything you can add to the situation? No. 
Is there anything you can do about it? Not just add or affect you, but can you do anything to change it? Well, no. And then I was like, are you using it to distract yourself from yourself? I don't know. So at least I got an I don't know. And I thought, we're looking here. You are looking here. For reasons to not feel guilty or weird about things working out, like things being okay. It's like when you're okay, you think, ah, this is too good to be true. I'm really happy right now. And it might go away and, oh, my gosh, I don't want it to just go away. Let me make it go away. So at least I'm in control of it. At least I know why it will go away. It's one of the most quiet, subtle, beneath the radar, ego moves. And it's so subtle that if you can ever think of anything hijacking your time, your energy, your focus, the fear of sustaining happiness, which is why at the end of the day, we think happiness is a once in a like a wild thing. Like, oh yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, that was happy time. How many times have people said that and not realized that they could be happy right now? And then when they do get happy or they are happy about something, maybe their job, maybe they bought something they saved up for, maybe they got to go somewhere or visit someone that they haven't seen for a while or somebody just, they ran into someone they've known in a grocery store and they were happy to see each other. And then we say, oh, but I can't be that happy. Well, let me see. My sister's child is not doing well. Oh, wait, let me see. Oh, this and that is going on at work. Oh, let me see. I'm not getting paid enough. And we just create stuff. And then not only do we create it, We let it be a part of our day, and it's something that's not even in our control. It's not even something we can do anything about. So we borrow all of this trouble. The best example I have of it, there was an 80-year-old lady that goes to our gym, or this was my old gym because before I moved. And I just love this lady to death because she's 80 years old. She's as solid as a bull. I mean, usually I see people and they're frail, but this woman had just solid bones, a clear mind, goes everywhere, just stopped working, had a boyfriend who she broke up with. And if you knew why she broke up, you'd know how she sustained her brain until 80. She broke up with him 
because he would come over every night for dinner. They didn't live together or anything. He would come over. I don't know how old he was. I never met him. All I know is the story about him with her. And they would watch the news together every night. And they would debate and they would, like, just be upset. And she realized that since she'd been dating him, because, you know, they get checked pretty regularly at the doctors, and and she did anyway. And she found out her blood pressure was rising. And she's like, wow, you know what changed in my life? And she realized that every night when she watched the news, forget the debate she had with him, just watching the news really upset her. And at first I thought, well, the news isn't really any worse than the things we hear here and there or that we see. It might not completely be true. And right now, you know, depending on what side of the fence you are on anything, you pick your news station so that at least it's not completely toxic. But it was just that she was raised in a time when you watch the news for all the vital information that we got. We didn't have an internet. We didn't have phones like this. We didn't have any of that. And I know that for younger people, it's hard to imagine life like that. But for someone who's lived life like that, especially for as long as she did prior to cell phones and all that, they barely use their cell phones. They don't need them. They don't have a network at work. They don't have a network with family. I mean, they might have a phone to contact their children. She had one daughter who also went to the gym who was my age. But her doctor told her to stop watching the news. So she goes to her boyfriend and tells him, we need to stop watching the news. It's actually not really good for my health. They broke up over that because he, it was his habit. It was his lifestyle. That's the thing they shared. So if they stopped doing that, he really, you know, when you're older, it, it takes a lot for some people to get out of their houses, to get dressed, to share Because sometimes there's fatigue and tired, just depending on the person and their mindset. But she helped herself, not by breaking up with the guy, which I thought was an extreme measure they could have found, but maybe there wasn't enough there. But either way, um, she stopped something that was hurting her that she could do nothing about but it was directly affecting her. It was hurting her health. So she stopped doing it. And it's easy to say, just stop. But what I learned from her is that she took an action. She like slapped an action onto it. Like, I'm just not going to do that anymore because that's raising my blood pressure and I don't sleep the same. I'm not as happy when I go to bed. And I feel like I'm just fighting, fighting, fighting when, you know, she could have watched something that was a lot more fun. They could have watched something that was a lot more fun or made a decision not to watch anything at all and put music on and talk about other things. But she knew enough to know enough not to borrow trouble. 
being upset at what is not ours takes up a lot of space and a lot of time and a lot of our emotional, mental bandwidth that we actually need. So then I took it a step further and I said, for those of us who don't do anything about it and just say, well, that's life, same whatever. I, I remember someone said that at the gym and it was, they, they swore. And I, I remember looking down, I was hanging on a machine and I, I looked down and I'm like, yeah, that's an awful way to think. Same stuff, different day. Same this, different day. And I'm like, oh, really? That's pretty bleak. That's a pretty heavy way to wake up in the morning. And it's even a heavier way to go to sleep. So why do we do it? And then something I haven't said for a long time crept up in my brain. It's self-sabotage. It's ego creeping in from the back door, making you think that, oh, I have an opinion on this, and, you know, I want to talk about this, and it riles me up, and I want to get everyone else riled up. Can't you guys see what's happening? The world is ending, and you're just sitting at home. Why don't you do something about it? You think it will work? What can I do? And what part of it is ending? We got so many things that we can think about that we can say the world is ending over. Why did you choose that one? Or, you know, people are awful or there's crime everywhere or there's always been. Whatever's going on today in our world, if you took a snapshot of it, and you looked back in history, there has always been crazy going on at any particular time. But it's easy to look back and only pull out the fun stuff. Wow, the 50s were great. The 60s were crazy. The 70s were wild. The 80s, we were, you know, all focused on, you know, creating these um, I want to say, I feel like the workforce just went boom. I, I could only think of the shoulder pads and the jackets of people. And the 90s, got we got socially conscious. And, you know, the 2000s were like the new age. And we had technology. And, you know, we start, we start coming out of everything. But in every time, I remember even when my mom was alive and there was flooding everywhere. And she'd say, oh, that's a sign. That's a sign of the end of the world. But I have to tell you, we're going to die and go back home, in most cases, before the end of this world. This world just has new generations who have something in common at this time in our history. And that's what we're here to do is to grow at this time in our history to face what we face see what we see hear what we hear see what troubles us see what we can fix understand how we can be together help each other love each other in the midst of all the chaos it's such a 
interesting way to look at life. So the other example I had was my parents, because they were immigrants. They did come to this country, one by plane. I think I think they both came by plane, but the plane my dad was on had a fire on it, like a, an actual fire. And he was 17 years old, and he was sitting in the um, seat. And when the fire broke out, they obviously were already close to New York. He came in through Ellis Island, so I don't know where they um, – where they landed and what happened. I don't know those details. But we did get his papers that he arrived in Ellis Island in 1953. And when he was on the plane, because he was 17, imagine you would be high school age at that time, people were screaming on the plane, my wife, my children, you know, all of these things because they were men without their families on the plane, leaving wherever I think he left from Jordan to get to the States to work and make money and send it back to his family. And he said when he was on the plane, he didn't feel scared. What he didn't know was that he went into shock because You're on a plane and it's burning. What do you think is going to happen? You're probably going to die. And people did think they were going to die, but somehow the plane landed. So what happened is my dad gets in New York and they, you know, pull him through the whole system. And he drives, not flies, to Chicago. And once he gets to Chicago, he never left. And I want to say for 40 years? He didn't get on another plane. Now, we did not know that he was scared of planes, and I don't think he knew. Because my dad was definitely someone who didn't borrow trouble. But he didn't tell anybody because he never really was faced with the situation. But he would get, you know, we had our, he had his own business, and he had a store, and he worked seven days a week at the low end, 12 hours a day. And if we really wanted to spend time with our dad, we had to go to the store and work with him. (laughs) And then you got to spend time with him because that's where he was. But then I thought out, how did my parents live? There was nasty politics at that time. There were, at the time, gas rations in the 70s. There were meat rations in the 70s. And if anyone remembers rations, that's where they control what goes out to the public. There were gas lines that went for blocks. You'd probably run out of gas waiting to put gas in your car. My parents, because they were not political at all, they got to enjoy their life. Their focus was on their family, and they understood what their focus was because they looked at that as somebody else's job, passion, love, whatever it is, and trusted that they would take care of it because that's what they chose to do. 
just like they chose to come here and chose to work, and they worked hard. They never thought, I can't get a job. My dad was working three jobs. One cleaning a bar at night, one selling door-to-door on his days off, and one working as a janitor in a company until they saved enough money to buy their own business. And my mom worked too. And we had a lady that came and took care of us named Margie. And we didn't even speak English. It was pretty funny, but she did teach us a lot. So I look at people who borrow trouble and create reasons to be upset and create reasons to feel anxious. And then I look at people who say, this is mine or this isn't. I have control over this or I don't. So take a look at for this day, because it's before the new year and it's like cleanup time or at least paying attention to cleaning up. What in your life is yours? What do you naturally gravitate to? What can you influence? What can you help? What can you bring your love to? What can you make change in? What can you feel good about? And keep your focus there. If something tries to creep in and say, ah, you're not really going to make change. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. When I started doing this, people were looking at me because there was no way to produce an income. I will always have spent far more on this work to date than what I'll ever get back. And if I charge for something now, it's because I have to pay the people who are doing the work. But I always had laser focus about it. When I first saw Christ, I said, to God, to Christ at the time when I, when I saw him, I knew that one day I was going to make a ton of money off of this. Not because of great marketing or I never even got that far. I just knew that I was going to be entrusted with a lot of money from this. Not because I needed to be rich. Or I needed to be okay. Because at that time, I was already okay. It was before I really started doing this and then started hitting financial issues. But I wasn't ready to be public. But what happened was, the reason I knew that a lot of money was going to come from this wasn't because of the money. Christ always says it's never about the money is because I knew that I was never going to keep once I paid the people I had to pay any of that money. I knew that whatever money I got from this, I was going to help people with. And that's already started. That's already started. 
I started helping the people. Now, this is the kicker. Before I even got the money, I, I like transitioned from people helping me to me giving back just in this past year. So it took me 17 and a half years to get to what I saw happen. Like that little glimpse of I'm going to be helping people. And at first I thought it was just emotionally because I didn't know how to make the money. And I had to learn all this stuff before I could be entrusted with the money. And now I have to charge for classes so I could pay the people who are filming them so they can live. But I used to feel guilty about making money off of this. And Christ said, well, then how are you going to help the people in yet another way? Because I can work mentally, but if I can't get to the people, then how do I do that? So I had to learn to accept certain things. But I never gave up on that focus. And a lot of things came and tugged at me. Oh, look at you. You're suffering. Oh, look at you. You can't pay your bills right now. Oh, look at you. Asking for help. Oh, look at you looking for money to publish your book. Why won't anyone else publish it for you? That's how ego sounded in my head 15 years ago after I'd get tired. But I used to shut that voice down and say, yeah, look at me. All I have to do is keep looking. Not look at myself, but look for a solution. Same word, different purpose. One would hurt me, look at me, and the other one would help me, let me keep looking. Same word, two different instances. Because of the way we look at it. When that voice would sneak in under the radar, I used to catch it. Because I didn't want to hear that I couldn't do this. I already saw me doing it, but I had to get there. It isn't that no was an option or not. No just was out of my line of focus. We can choose when to borrow trouble. Look at me failing or look at me trying. We use the word look in both of them, but it meant two completely different energies behind it because energy will always precede words. When we hear a negative rant in our head, we have to ask ourselves, am I borrowing trouble for myself? Am I looking for a reason to start gnawing at my happiness? Does my brain deserve that? Does my heart deserve that? My soul, does it deserve that? 
do we deserve to hurt ourselves? The biggest thing I learned from Christ, because in the beginning, I was like, Christ, look at our world. You can help this and you can help that. Look at what these people are doing. And now same same circumstances, different people. So that's going to go on. But I didn't know that then. But he said to me, keep doing what you are doing. Don't pay attention to them to the point where you can't do what you're doing because they are not paying attention to you. They're doing what they're doing. That's why they're good at it. That's why you're wondering how the heck they're doing this and creating so much havoc, and it's because they are focused. You may not like what they're focused on, but it's not yours. You focus on what you focus on so you can offer a balance to that, whatever that is that you think is there. Those sayings, stay in your lane. Ask yourself questions. Ask yourself if you're borrowing trouble. I never even heard that term until this. No, it's been now two years. And I remember being fascinated just by the term because I thought, holy cow. And then all the examples started coming in of how many times I've seen people who did and people who didn't. I am amazed at how easy it is to do. So pay attention. Have a great Monday. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com.